Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Here ends the Old Testament. Please do take a seat. And if we haven't had a chance uh, to meet before, then my name is Ken Matthews, and I'm the minister here at St. Joseph's. And it'd be great uh, help to me, and hopefully also to you, if you could uh, grab a Bible and look back to that Old Testament reading we had uh, from Ruth chapter 4. Do flick through to find that. Uh, I'll give you a page number, which might help too, which is page 224. Okay, hopefully we've all got there. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we pray that you would shine its light into our lives, into our hearts this morning, and show us the way to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question as I begin. Here's my question for you. What is love? How would you define love? If I was to ask you to turn to the person next to you and answer that question, what would you say to them? Now, don't worry. I am not going to make you do that. I can already see the fear in your eyes. Um, But we don't have to look very far in order to find Uh, a wide variety of opinions on what love actually is. In fact, if you were to look at song lyrics uh, down through the years, you'll find some pretty different ideas about love. So Westlife, in their pomp, uh, tell us that love will find you. Whereas the black-eyed peas want to know, where is the love? The Beatles told us many years ago that love is all you need. But Tina Turnley bluntly declares, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? Or what about that spectacular glam rock band, The Darkness? Anyone remember them? Seems a while ago even for them. They seem to sum up our culture's confusion about the word love. In one song, they shout out, I believe in a thing called love. And yet a few tracks later, they complain that love is only a feeling. There's so much confusion in our culture, I think, about love. Now, I'm not setting myself up here as some kind of love guru. (laughs) Don't worry. Perish the thought on that. But I think that last song 
actually, is the main message that our culture gives us now about love. Love is a feeling. Whether it's those butterflies in the stomach when someone turns our head or that sense of growing arousal as we think things might be about to go a bit further or that crushing sense of disappointment and frustration or guilt when things don't work out how we wanted them to. Love is a feeling. A wonderful, joyous feeling, but it's an elusive feeling nonetheless. It's hard to find let alone keep. I mean, few cultures have thrown around the world word love like ours has done. Yet, why is it that we find, we struggle to find the quality of personal relationships that we long for? Well, at the risk of being a little bit uh, geeky for a few moments, let me tell you about a study undertaken back in the 1980s by a group of sociologists in which they analyzed people's attitudes to their relationships. And in particular, we look at the tension between individual freedom and social commitment. And in it, they discovered that the traditional view that feelings should always come second place to duty was now being very rapidly eroded, displaced by a very different attitude in which feelings took priority over everything else. So it wasn't self-control, self-denial, self-sacrifice, or self-discipline that really counted anymore. No, now it was self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-acceptance, self-esteem. The important virtues were now not those that restrain the expression of the self, but those which liberate it. Emotional independence and contentment is the goal. I must be happy in this short life. I must be happy. That is the message. And a personal relationship is simply a way to achieve that happiness. So if it's not working for me, then it and the person must go. You see, life is all about choices now, not commitments. And if a commitment isn't making me happy, I must make a different choice. And you may have to be disposed of in the process. Now, don't get me wrong here, this new attitude, it's not all bad. It's been a great help in making lots of people much more self-aware and in touch with their feelings. It's also helped us to be aware of the guilt-inducing manipulations of the family and the workplace and the culture. But the problem is, carried out to extremes, this kind of attitude is desperately destructive for relationships. So we must recognize that this is what we've actually done as a culture. I wonder if you realize this. We have actually redefined what the word love means. So it's no longer a sacrificial commitment to another person, but it is now the intensity of my feelings in myself. That's what love is. It's what I feel. The changes come very subtly, but it is now universal in our thinking. And hey, can I just say, it is in your thinking You may not be aware of this. It is very subtle, but it is there in your thinking. And folks, that is actually what makes this book of Ruth that we've been looking at for the last month such a candle in the darkness. Because it's all about the difference that commitment in relationships can make to our experience of love. For this book is meant to convince us that love is a commitment. 
This book is all about a sacrificial commitment to somebody else. It's about loyalty and duty and the cost that comes from putting others' needs above our own. It's about the way God achieves his purposes in history through insignificant people who trust enough to take risks and show sacrificial, committed, covenant, Calvary love that risks demand. And so as we come to the end of this book of Ruth in chapter 4, I want to walk you through two little scenes here. We've got two little vignettes, and they both actually reflect this theme of sacrificial covenant love. In the first one, we encounter the loyal wedding. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So as we have been working our way through this book of Ruth, this is the moment that we have all been waiting for. If you haven't been around this last month, why not just catch up, um, you know, like you would on iPlayer, just t- although just in a more kind of book form, and take the book of Ruth, read through it to get to this uh, climax um, later on this afternoon. But regardless of whether you have been around or not, we all love happy endings. And that's what we've got going on here, haven't we? Ruth and Boaz finally get hitched, and she has a baby. But unlike with Ben and Sophie, with little baby Ezra, who is it who gets all the congratulations cards? Well, surprisingly, it's not the parents. It's not Ruth and Boaz. It's actually her mother-in-law, Naomi. As verse 14 goes on like this, Ruth has the baby and... Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) Do you see the emotion? I probably milked it a little bit there. But but the, the emotional focus of this wedding and the subsequent christening of little Obed is Naomi. As these women enter stage left to sing and dance around her like the cast of Mary Poppins. Why are they doing that? It's intriguing, isn't it? Victor Hugo, who famously wrote Les Miserables, or uh, Les Miserables, as I like to say it in my terrible French. Hugo, he once said that the greatest happiness in life is to be convinced that you are loved. And that is certainly Naomi's experience when it came to her daughter-in-law. Let's review Ruth's highlight reel for a second, shall we? So chapter one, against all good sense and her own best interests, Ruth commits herself in love to her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. Rather than abandon this woman and leave her bereft and alone, she actually abandons her own country and her own people in Moab and accompanies Naomi back to Israel. She makes a vow of commitment to Naomi in chapter 1, verse 16, as she promises her, where you go, 
I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. As that is what real love is about, folks. It is about making promises. And with God's help, seeking to keep those promises. Now, if Ruth had mainly been interested in self-fulfillment, she would have just ditched Naomi and stayed with her people and done her own thing. But no, she was part of Naomi's family now. And she was actually one of the few members of Naomi's family who was still alive. And she was determined to put loyalty first. Even though as a Moab, sorry, even as a Moabite, she was by race one of the sworn enemies of the Israelites. So potentially putting her life on the line with every step that she walked towards Israel with her mother-in-law. But then in chapter 2, Ruth meets Boaz, who is colorblind, just like God is, can I say. And he commends Ruth for her faithfulness to Naomi and expresses huge admiration for her and everything she has done for Naomi. And he prays for her that God would reward her for that. Which then leads Ruth to coming to Boaz in the dead of night in chapter 3. And she stands before him and she says to Boaz, be the answer to your own prayer. Be the answer. She stands there and in chapter 3 verse 8 she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And as she calls on Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer, she's using a really technical Bible world there that is linked to the care for a destitute family member back in Leviticus 25. So as she's standing there, can you see? It's as though Naomi, her mother-in-law, is standing there right beside her. She's saying, kinsman redeemer to Boaz. She's saying to him, I've got my arm around my mother-in-law Boaz. Can you see that here? She's saying, yes, please marry me, but I come with my mother-in-law, and I will not break my vows of love to her. What a chat-up line, eh? What a chat-up line. Leviticus 25, here I am with my mother-in-law. Come on, Boaz, help me keep my commitment to this woman. I mean, it's amazing. Have you ever had a chat-up line like that? I haven't. I mean, it's in a totally different league to the old classics, like, um, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Or, I'm not a photographer, but I can picture you and me together. I know, I know, so cheesy. Um, but it's certainly a step up from the much-loved favourite of Scots and Yorkshire men down through the years. Get your coat, love. You're pulled. And that is why, because <laughs> it's a step up from all of those chat lines, that is why Ruth responds to Boaz here. Verse 10. May you, this is chapter 3, verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, says Boaz. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, the kindness he is referring to there is Ruth's kindness to Naomi. He's staggered by her promise-keeping godliness. Here is this man. He's brought up an Israelite from, from the cradle. He's brought up in the faith. And this woman, Moabite woman comes along, this new believer, and she blows him away with her example and her godliness. And can I just say, if you are a new Christian or a young Christian here this morning, you probably think that you have got lots to learn. And let's face it, you do. But do not underestimate the way in which you can 
encourage and challenge and teach those of us who are older in the faith? Well, Boaz, he's staggered by Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. And now here in chapter 4, what joy! (laughs) He takes her to be his wife. And Naomi comes to live with them too. And they have a child. And as Granny Naomi sits bouncing little Obed on her knee, the women all gather round to declare, verse 14, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. For he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For, and this is the one and only time in this magnificent love story that we have in the book of Ruth here, that the word love is actually mentioned. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Safe at last from the ravages of Moab, the vulnerability of her widowhood, and the bitterness of her past. What is it that has brought Naomi to this place of security and fullness? What is it that has restored her faith and her hope? It is the love of Ruth. That is how her faith in the covenant God of Israel was restored. Because another human being demonstrated such committed, sacrificial, promise-keeping love to her. So let me ask you, if you are a Christian here this morning and you believe in the covenant love of God, which ultimately actually went to the cross for us. I mean, this is the extent of God's love for you and for me. That he says to me, Ken, I love you so much that I will pay in death and blood to to, to get your sins forgiven so that I can take you into a relationship with myself. <laughs> even though you're my enemy, because that is what I was to God. An enemy, even though you're my enemy, I lay down my life, the life of my son for you. I forgive your sins. I fill you with my spirit. And I greet you as a son through his committed, sacrificial covenant love. Folks, if you believe in that cross-shaped love this morning then my question for you is, who is your Naomi? Who is your Naomi? Folks, here is Ruth. She's a baby believer. She's just lost her own husband. (laughs) She's got every reason to stick around in Moab. And yet here she is in Israel, staggering Boaz with her kindness by her sacrificial covenant love. And my question to you is, what about you? Is there anyone who you are loving like this. Anyone. Who has God called you to love like this? Or what task has he called you to do that quite frankly requires you to crucify yourself? Maybe it's a family member, a, a relative who we have just given up relating to because it is just too difficult, too painful. Or a child who we don't seem to be able to cope with. We don't know how we're going to be able to cope with them. Or a spouse who seems distant and and drifting further and further away by the day. Or could it be that difficult, awkward person at work? Or at church even? Or dare I say it, in our midweek group? 
Or might it even be a group of people who God is calling you to love? Like those who are struggling to feed themselves through, um, uh, feed themselves and their families, who we can serve through the, through the food bank or through the cap debt center here. Or the youth who were starting up this Fry Up Youth Club on Friday nights. To which you might say, Friday night? But hold on. It's the weekend. I need to chillax. But whoever our Naomi is, loving them will involve. In fact, true love always involves self-discipline, self-sacrifice, and self-denial. And as I say that, I must acknowledge that there's some who are here who are already doing that. And I just want to salute you. I want to thank you for the brilliant example that you are to us. Why do you do it? Well, I guess it's because Christ was crucified for you, so he calls you to love others as he has loved you. And I guess the other reason we do it is because you never know what God can do through your sacrificial service. You never know. So let's have a quick look at our second scene here. As the loyal wedding is swiftly followed by the royal family line. Have a look again at verse 17. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab shows you just how well Dave did, didn't it, earlier on? <laughs> fathered Nashon. Let's skip to the end. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So from crying out in bitterness, as Naomi did in chapter 1, in God's plan, she is now going to be the great-great-grandmother of David. Her name will be remembered forever. And from David's line which we picked up in that seemingly random and difficult reading earlier on from Matthew 1, comes Jesus Christ himself. And he is our ultimate redeemer, our true and only hope of salvation. And at the end of the day, what we have to see here that is God is in control. And his covenant love, which Ruth has modeled so wonderfully, so beautifully to us, is going to be victorious <laughs> He wins. Do you see, in the big picture of what is going on here in Ruth, Boaz can't see it. it, Ruth can't see it. Naomi can't see it. They are just trying to be godly and do the right thing. But in the big picture, they are part of God's plan for the winning of many souls to Christ. There's a fellow called uh, Peter O'Brien who is an Australian minister who's written uh, a number of really helpful Christian books really help people to understand the Bible better. And they've been much used across the world. He became a Christian because for 13 years, his next door neighbor died of MS in such a sacrificial, loving, caring, servant-hearted way to others that his mum became a Christian. And then so did he. Now, if you had said to that woman, if you die well, then people all over the world will have really, really helpful Christian books that will help them understand the Bible and come to Christ and walk for him. Will you do that? I guess she would say, deal. 
But she couldn't see the big picture. She was just being faithful to Christ in loving others. And the big picture here is that God was going to produce David and ultimately Christ through this seemingly insignificant family's line. But Boaz couldn't see that. Ruth couldn't see that. Neither can you in your situation. We just see in front of us our Naomi. That person, God is calling us to love with covenant, promise-keeping, sacrificial love like Christ's. And so the question for us as we close is, will we trust God and obey and leave the future consequences through history to God? And can I just say (laughs) that in doing that, you don't have to be amazingly gifted or in some kind of leadership position here at church. Um, You don't have to be like that to pull it off. You don't have to have, have lived the perfect life. I mean, after all, Ruth was just a Middle Eastern refugee from a despised nation. She was a nobody. And some of the other characters here, like Ruth, they were broken people who turned their backs on God for a while and then come back. And yet here we are reading all about them because God can do amazing things through the simple, everyday faithfulness of ordinary people like you and me. You see, brothers and sisters... This story is designed to deprogram us from our selfish, individualistic attitude toward love. A love which is just about the intensity of our feelings rather than the sacrificial commitment that God calls us to towards others. It is a story which encourages us to believe that if we really want to know what love means in its richest and fullest form, if we really want to experience that, then we must be willing to make the commitment and the sacrifice that is the price of love. And we need that message just as much today as Ruth and folks in her day needed it. So let me ask you in the shadow of the cross, who is your Naomi? What task is God calling you to do? Who might be in heaven because of your courageous, patient, spirit-filled love? Let's pray together. Father God, we ask you for forgiveness, first of all, for the times when we have displayed self-love, when we've bought into the God of our own happiness and not the good of others. Give us the strength, we pray, in our lives to model covenant love, the love of Ruth, the love of Boaz, the love ultimately of Christ. And Father, as we do that, please help us to trust in your sovereignty in the way you rule over history and leave the results to you. We pray this for our good and your glory. Amen.